What's up, citizens of Apologia? This is King Ginger, and I just wanted to take a moment to encourage you all to sign up for Apologia All Access. When you sign up for Apologia All Access, you're going to get exclusive on-demand content. This means that you and your entire family are going to get to watch every single TV show, every single after show, and every single Apologia Academy with new content dropping every single week. But most importantly, your contribution helps Apologia Studios create quality, Christ-centered entertainment that reaches millions of people on our YouTube channels and through our podcast with the gospel. So what are you waiting for? Change everything at ApologiaRadio.com. Non-rockabotus must stop. I don't want to rock the boat. I want to sink it. Are you going to bark all day, little doggy, or are you going to bite? Brett, delusional is okay in your worldview. I'm an animal. You don't chastise chickens for being delusional. You don't chastise pigs for being delusional. So you calling me delusional using your worldview is perfectly okay. It doesn't really hurt. <laughs> she hung up on me. Yes! Yes! What? What? Desperate times call for faithful men and not for careful men. The careful men come later and write the biographies of the faithful men, lauding them for their courage. Go into all the world and make disciples. Not go into the world and make buddies. Not to make brosives. Right. Don't go into the world and make homies. Right. Disciples. I got, I got a bit of a jiggle neck. <laughs> That's a joke, Pastor. When we have the real message of truth, we cannot let somebody say they're speaking truth when no. they're not. Take an amazing journey to a place that will blow your mind and move your heart so you will never be the same again. A person who is passing by and meddles in a quarrel that's not his is like one who grabs a dog mm-hmm. by the ears. Proverbs twenty six seventeen, y'all. This is Apologia Radio. Never Welcome. sounded relevant. And it's a, it's a, it's a always. The Bible is always, <laughs> always relevant. What do you know? Good relevant. It's a, it's an amazing, amazing, amazing thing. The Bible is, is the Word of God. It answers all our questions uh, related to what God wants us to know. Truth. Uh, questions about God and his world, us. It even a- answers questions regarding uh, conflict and war. What do you know? It does. Amazing, amazing. So, uh, I'm Jeff Durbin. They call me the Ninja. This is Apologia Radio. It's the gospel heard around the world. Next to me is uh, Pastor Luke the Bear Pearson. Howdy. What's up, dude? Howdy, folks. Ready for today, man? I am ready. We're going to talk about a lot of things today. We're going to talk about uh, war, just war theory, a biblical view of uh, foreign intervention uh, that matters a lot right now. It always matters, but it matters in particular right now a lot, and you'll see that actually matter a lot in our founding. Uh, before we get to that, though, I want to introduce, of course, back again, and we're grateful. Uh, Steady Randy is here today. What's up, Steady oh, Randy? Oh, that's so kind of you. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. Yes, really sir. Honor. And we have, of course, on the ones and twos, as usual, the man with the plan, King Ginger. No, that's a lie. Marcus Pittman. I just kind of make things... I don't really have a plan. <laughs> I just kind of go with the flow. <laughs> just go with it. All right. So we are back in the studio coming at you from a cooling down Phoenix, Arizona. Ish. Finally, finally not so bad. It's tolerable. It is. Not so bad. This and is the Arizona I like. Most of you will be jelly in about two months. Yeah. That's when... 
that's when you realize why people would even think to live in a place like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it cools down a bunch. So, all right. So we have a really cool show planned for you guys today. We're going to talk about a biblical view of just warfare, a just war theory. Uh, we're going to talk about America's founding a bit and some of the political sermons of the American founding era from 1730 to 1805. It's a two-volume set. You should get it. It's actually free online PDF, but you can also get it in book form. Highly recommend that. Uh, we're going to talk a bit about that. We're going to play a clip for you uh, talking about how the war for independence actually uh, got underway um, and how that relates to the sort of conflicts that are happening in the world today. Here's the thing. You might be asking, well, why do a show like that? Well, it, it matters because it's related Uh, to areas of justice in the world. It's related to love for neighbor. It's related to love for God. Uh, These sort of things matter. And you know, when we look across the landscape, we we don't really see many Christian radio shows or podcasts that really address some of these issues that we're facing today in our uh, current context in our world uh, from a biblical perspective, really answering the questions, uh, does the Bible actually address this? And I want to first address what a lot of people might say. They might say, well, we should be about the gospel. And yes. to that we say, well, amen. We, we should absolutely be about the gospel. We need to call the world to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. We need to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ and his redemption and salvation to every person that we can. We need to be going after the cults. We need to be going after everything we possibly can. Of course, of course, of course. However, when someone says um, we need to be about, about the gospel and not be thinking about these political conflicts, these sorts of things that we talk about, I want to say, well, if we're going to be about the gospel, then we kind of have to talk about these things. Because the gospel isn't just about my own private individual salvation and going to heaven one day. The gospel is the proclamation of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished. And when you think about the gospel, if we're going to be about the gospel, then we need to be about the lordship of Jesus Christ. Mm Remember that the Apostle Paul, when he actually explains the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that epic passage of scripture, um, he actually says in that same text when he proclaims the work of Jesus Christ and who he is, when he talks about Christ coming and dying, being buried and rising again, he actually then goes on to, to actually give the most popular verse from the Old Testament, quoted from the most in the New Testament, Psalm 1101 where he says the lord said unto my lord sit in my right hand until i make your enemies a footstool for your feet and he says jesus must reign until all of his enemies are made a footstool for his feet he says that all of his enemies are going under his feet the last enemy after all enemies are put under his feet is death Mm -hmm. and that's when jesus will return and deliver the kingdom over to the father not to bring the kingdom, but to deliver it to the Father. And so as, as a completed thing, here, Father, here it is, the kingdom. Um, and so when we think about being about the gospel, we need to remember that the gospel, central to the gospel, is the proclamation of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He's on his throne reigning. He said that he brought his kingdom. The Bible says that he's reigning now. In Psalm chapter 2, powerful passage of scripture, Psalm chapter 2, one of my favorites, verse 1. It says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. Hmm. The Lord holds them in derision. 
Then he will terrify, then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, Listen closely. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. One thing that I say often, Dr. Greg Bonson used to ask this question related to this passage of scripture to Christians, and I think it's very relevant. It's relevant about being about the gospel. He says, do you think Jesus forgot to ask? (laughs) The father says, ask of me. I'll give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. Do you think that Jesus forgot to ask for that? No. I mean, the ascension, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's past tense, y'all. It's been given. What? All authority. Where? In heaven, but also on earth. And on earth. And he says this, what? Go, therefore, therefore go Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey. That's where we're at, y'all. So when someone says, you should be about the gospel and not about these political questions, I want to say, you, we all know that doesn't work. And I am being about the gospel when I actually bring the word of God and the authority of Jesus Christ into all of these different realms. Someone says, you should be about the gospel. How about in the area of abortion? Is that a gospel issue? It certainly is. Why are people actually thinking that they have a right to murder their own children? Well, because they have fallen hearts, because they need Jesus, because they need to be saved. But that's a political issue, isn't it? Well, it's also a gospel issue. It's a moral issue. It's a violation of the law of God issue. It's a redemption issue where people need to be saved. So This reminds me of a cartoon that I saw on Facebook. Yeah. And it was like a, I guess it was a dispensationalist, and he, he was saying... You know, the world is going to be set on fire. And the other guy responded and said, well, that's unfortunate for the meek. (laughs) (laughs) Because. (laughs) The meek shall inherit the earth. That's really good. Because what Marcus is referring to is, of course, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, where he says the meek shall inherit the earth. The meek, not the unrighteous. The meek shall inherit the earth. Uh, also relevant is what we're going to go into today when you hear about wars and rumors of wars, Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse. Uh, don't forget, when Jesus gives that uh, famous uh, picture of what's going to take place, he says, like in the days of Noah, like in the days of Noah, two will be doing this, one will be taken, one will be left. Well, the question is, in the days of Noah, who was taken away and who was left? Well, it was the wicked who were taken away, right. and it was the righteous who were left. We often think about that particular section of Scripture in terms of the quote-unquote rapture, and we think that those who are grinding at the mill, the one who is taken is the one who is taken away in rapture and taken to God. But the truth is, if you look at what Jesus says there, he says, as in Noah's day, one was taken, one was left. The wicked was swept away. The righteous were left. And don't forget in Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says that Abraham's descendants would inherit the world. That's for the people of God. And so this is all important stuff, and it does relate directly to the gospel, gospel issues, the law of God, the need for redemption, and the authority of Jesus Christ. It really does. And so here we go. Let's get into it today. So I started off 
talking about just war theory, a biblical view of just war theory. And I started off, of course, quoting a passage of scripture from Proverbs 26, 17. This is wisdom. This is godly wisdom. And it relates not just to my personal life as an individual. It relates to Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) It relates to Twitter. It relates very much to those things. It says... Whoever meddles in a quarrel, not his own, is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. Mm -hmm. All right. Proverbs 26, 17. So, of course, it relates to me individually, but um, is there a sense that we need to take that passage, that godly wisdom, and apply it to our government and its intervention in the world? I I think so. I, I really, I believe that. I believe that it's important for the kings of the earth to actually obey the Son, which is, by the right. way, the rest of Psalm chapter 2. It says in verse 10, Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Obey the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So the, the nations are yours, Jesus. They're yours. I'll give the ends of the earth as your possession. They're all yours. Now, kings of the earth, rulers of the earth, be warned. Obey the son or you will perish. Jesus is on his throne. And the kings of the earth, the rulers of the earth are warned. You obey my son or you will perish. Everybody who takes refuge in him is blessed. That's what the promise is. And so do I believe that the kings of the earth should obey Jesus and how they do foreign intervention you better believe it there's godly wisdom here and when we don't submit ourselves to god's word in whatever realm whether whether it's individual family Mm -hmm. church or civil government when we don't obey god we reap the whirlwind we reap what we sow and we're going to pay for that and so we can look at the history of the united states the last hundred years alone and we can see of course war And we see, at times, a a need for war. We are not pacifists at Apologia Church. We understand that war is sometimes necessary, and it's actually a righteous thing to engage in, warfare. But is it right for us as America, let's say as America, not just Christians in America, but as America, is it right for us to have a foreign policy where we get ourselves involved in other people's fights? Is it right for us to be the policemen of the world is it right? Is it is it is it whole and pure and holy in God's eyes for us to engage in that kind of activity? Because, of course, we all recognize when we see atrocities committed around the world, we say, well, we need to do something about that. And we can have those conversations, but we have to ask the question, is it worth us starting World War III over somebody else's fight? Mm-hmm. Is it worth our sons and daughters dying because of somebody else's fight. We I think we need to think about Proverbs 26:17 in terms of intervention. A person who is passing by and meddles in a quarrel that's not his is like one who grabs a dog by the ears. Uh, I think that means you're going to get bit. I had to explain that verse to my uh, six-year-old the other day. Did you? Because she wouldn't quit grabbing her sister by the ear. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. But it's the same. It's the same uh same thing you just you multiply it on a on a bigger level it doesn't end well with my 6-year-old and my 2-year-old can't <laughs> imagine it ending well with the US and Russia 
<laughs> yeah, or any any of those other nations we're we're getting in a conflict with, and uh, you know, somebody might say, well, hey, you know, uh, God is sovereign over that. Well, we believe that. We believe that. But God is sovereign over the ends and the means, and we're responsible for our behavior mm-hmm. in the midst of God's sovereignty. I mean, don't we believe that? We're not fatalists here. We believe that God holds us accountable. And so let's 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 move forward with that discussion, uh, and let's do it starting at it's kind of an interesting place I mean, not just from the scriptures we can go into to a, a large discussion on just warfare theory from the bible but i think as a start today that that's a good beginning but there again are some excellent resources out there on this particular subject and one thing to do is to look at the founding of our nation um when we had our conflict with england we've talked about this many times before uh, England uh, didn't call it the Revolutionary War, the War for Independence. England called it the Presbyterian Revolt. Mm. The Presbyterian yep. Revolt. Uh, we've talked before about the Black Robe Regiment. You have these Presbyterian and, and these Baptist ministers who wear their black Genevan gowns and robes, and they preach the Word of God to the people. They preach about justice. They preach about the law of God. And then they leave their churches together. They leave worship, taking off those robes, picking up a musket, and going to fight um, there are some political sermons of the American founding era. Again, 1730 to 18, 1805. It's volume one and volume two. Free online as a PDF, but I, again, get it in your library. I just picked it up myself. Uh, these are the messages that were being preached. Now, what I find fascinating, and Marcus and I were talking about this a bunch yesterday, what I find fascinating is that you have these sermons accessible to us today. You can read these sermons, and these sermons weren't necessarily just sermons being preached in churches these are sermons that are being preached before governors Mm. and legislatures these are sermons where these christian ministers solid reformed by the way christian ministers are preaching the whole counsel of god to the civil government and these are not like wishy-washy topical sermons that you know are not really cutting these are hardcore in-depth exegetical messages sometimes the whole message is on a single word Mm. like marcus what was the word the the whole message is on one word before the legislature (laughs) what was it it was before the legislature it was on um the repentance of nineveh when they said perhaps god might spare us so he's he's talking about essentially that before we go to war with England, we need to make sure that our nation is repentant so that perhaps might God might spare us and that mm. England is not our judgment, but war England's judgment. You gotta love them dang Puritans <laughs> preaching an entire hour long sermon on the word perhaps. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it. Very I love nice. it. So um l- let me let me give you um a a section um this particular uh, excerpt is from a sermon preached before His Excellency William Shirley, the Honorable His Majesty's Council and House of Representatives of the Province of the Massachusetts Bay in New England, May 27th, 1747. 1747. Um, and this was by Charles Chauncey, who is actually one of the most famous pastors during this time. Uh, uh, besides Jonathan Edwards, he was one of America's uh, most popular pastors. Um, and uh, so I'm going I'm to read you a quotation. This, this, listen to the name of the sermon. <laughs> listen to the name of the sermon. He's preaching this 
to the civil government. What happened to us? I've only heard of one person doing that in recent times. And it was in his church. Yeah. Douglas don't, Wilson. Don't we still have like national prayer breakfast? We do have national prayer breakfast. Same right. thing, right? Right. Yeah. Not quite. <laughs> right. And this thing is long. It's long. Okay. But listen, this is the name of the sermon. Are you ready? Civil magistrates must be just ruling in the fear of God. That's what was being preached to our civil government. Hmm. That's what was being preached. Don't tell me we don't have a Christian heritage in our nation. It's impossible. We were a Christian republic. This is from 2 Samuel 23, verse 3. This is the verse. The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spoke to me. He that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And this entire hour-long message is preached before the government. And now watch what he says here. Look, look, look at they're being told he broke up what it means to be just. He explained biblically what it means for a governing authority to be just, ruling in the fear of God. He says this. He says, rulers also should endeavor to keep the state from being embroiled in foreign war mm. by contriving in all prudent ways to engage and continue the friendship of neighboring nations by bearing with lesser injuries from them and not hastily resenting greater ones so far as may be consistent with the public safety by sacredly adhering to the treaties and contracts that they may have entered into with them by expressing a due caution not to invade their rights or properties or in any instance whatever to give them just cause of provocation. Hmm. Sounds like an isolationist. Just, just that's what no, people say. If you were to say that now, people would say, oh, that's isolationism. You know, it's it's compelling that the <laughs> the look, the reason you have this great nation today and the just laws that we actually have that are hanging on by a thread is because of the biblical worldview. Mm. But in particular, you have the New England pulpit that is responsible for for this nation it wasn't atheism secularism right. it wasn't pluralism that's a joke it wasn't pluralism it was specifically and distinctly christian and you have these ruling authorities that were getting the very words of god from solid men of god and they were telling them you must be just you must rule in the fear of god here's what it means for you to be just here's what it means for you to fear god as a as a ruling authority and, and hey and you better not get us involved in any foreign wars. <laughs> and look, look at this. Watch what he says here. He says, by bearing with lesser injuries from them. Look, bear with the lesser injuries from them. And not hastily resenting greater ones. Don't hastily move forward. Don't get us involved in a fight. Here is how Christians should view war, according to the scriptures. Defensive. Only. Defensive. Only. You can fight a right. just war as a Christian when it is defensive only. And you don't go passing by somebody else's quarrel and getting involved in that fight. It's not just. It's not righteous. It's not your fight. And again, I'm not a pacifist. We're not pacifists. But we do believe in justice. We do believe in righteousness. And we do believe that it's important for us to actually fight for a cause that says we don't go getting ourselves into fights with other nations because of their fight. It puts us into a very difficult situation. Financially, our sons and daughters die. We have to end up killing other image bearers of God. It matters. And you can look at how our nation started, and you can see that we had a pretty solidly biblical view 
of Just Warfare. Now, I want to play this for you guys and then go to a break. Um, this is fantastic. Uh, this is a discussion about Paul Revere. I, I, I gave you a bit of it last week, but I want to actually let this, this brother um, give this discussion um, because it, the way he tells the story is so much better than me. Um, this is a discussion of how the fight started. And I, I'm just going to play it for you. I just want you to hear it. So this is um, Paul Revere and the Pastors. Um, and this was, uh, the name of this is America, American Heritage Series, I believe. Or a profession of individuals that may have had as much impact as any other group in America in securing American independence was pastors. Not only had they talked about all these issues from the pulpit, but when it came time to actually go on the battlefield and fight, they were at the forefront of congregations. Wow. Pastors. Pastors were Clergy. right out front. I'll give you a great example. We all learn in school about the story of Paul Revere writing to, to let them know the British are coming. Right. There's a lot more to that story than we hear. I mean, in several ways. Not only on the pastor side, but also writing that same night with Paul Revere was an African-American patriot named Wentworth Cheswell. Now, it turns out that Revere is headed to the west to let them know the British are coming. Wentworth Cheswell went north to let them know the British are coming, but the two took off. And we hear about Revere because the British actually did go west and not north. Well, where is it that Revere is riding to, to let the Americans know that the British are coming? He's riding in the home of one man, the Reverend Jonas Clark. That's where he's headed, one, one place. Why, why Clark's home? Well, he was in Lexington. The British were going to Lexington to, to take the stores there and take the ammunition, the stores of supplies they had. So he's writing to let Reverend Clark know. Well, why not let the mayor know or something? No, he's writing to let Reverend Clark know. Why Reverend Clark? Because that night, John Hancock and Sam Adams were staying with Reverend Clark, which they did all the time. The Reverend Clark was the most significant political leader in that community. As a matter of fact, he's the one who helped write the resolutions to, for Massachusetts to separate from Great Britain, become part of the United States of America. He's the guy that was sent to help write the state constitution for Massachusetts. Here's a preacher involved in all this. So, here comes Paul Revere. They finally get word. And when word arrives for Sam Adams and John Hancock that the British are coming, those two turned to Reverend Jonas Clark and looked at him and said, Pastor, are your people ready? Wow. And he says, I've trained them for just this very moment. <laughs> so when the call went out, the alarm bell rang that the British were coming. And by the way, the alarm bell that rang was the bell in his church that rang to let them know the British were coming. 150 people gathered there to meet the British. They gathered at his church, hmm. led by him, and they were out of his church. It was his church that gathered to fight the British. Well, it turned out the British didn't come on the first alarm. So the second alarm sounds, and they regather, and there's Jonas Clark at the church. And so they, they go out on the green to fight the British. And he made real clear that, listen, God blesses a defensive war. He doesn't bless an offensive war. So don't you fire the first shot. Wow. And that was real simple. If they fired us, let them have it. But don't you fire the first <laughs> shot. And so when that first shot was fired, by the time the, the volley was over, the shot heard around the world, by the time it's all over, what you have is 18 Americans laying there on Lexington Green. Eight of them were dead. Ten of them were wounded. All of them were out of his church. And so here, Paul Revere is writing to find this preacher because that's where the patriot leaders are, is with this preacher. And when it comes time to fight, it's the preacher that gets the church to go out there and defend their rights. Well, as... Powerful, right? Right. Isn't that an amazing story? What was that? 
That was David Barton. Okay. David yeah. Barton. We've had him on the show, uh, actually, when we first uh, started Apologia Radio after Redemption Radio. Is episode, we did? Episode yeah. 8, actually. I know. Cause Are somebody you just, serious? Somebody yeah, emailed dude. us the other day. Yeah. I need to go back and listen to some of the old episodes. Yeah, you should. Yeah. Oh, my. That was a good episode. We talked about uh, Second Amendment stuff. Yeah. With uh, with David Barton. We had yeah. a son on, too, right? We did have a son on a couple episodes later, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, so that's a that's an amazing story, right? I mean, just goes to show the influence that the church had in terms of uh, the founding of this nation, our laws, how we viewed warfare. I mean, I mean, think about that for a moment. Look what this pastor tells his congregation: You are to wait until you're fired upon, because God's not going to bless an offensive war. And so what did that mean? He put the lives of his people at risk mm. because they had to essentially risk getting shot and, and dying before they can actually start fighting to defend. They knew what was coming, but he still said God's not going to defend and God's not going to bless a, an offensive war. So some of us not need to, I mean, in a way, die as martyrs in a sense. You're going to lose your life. Why? Because God's going to bless this as a defensive war. And guess what? God did bless it. We... One and um, sh- should should um, should they have just been concerned with the gospel? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, let's just let's preach the gospel to the British. Well, you know what? Many of the British people were actually Christians. They were involved in injustice at the time. Mm. And don't forget, like when when the the American people when these Christians actually like revolted against um, England at the time. They understood it was not a revolutionary war, but a war for independence because England had sinned and broken covenant with God and with them. That's how they saw it. They saw it as an issue of sin and injustice. And don't forget, the minds of those Americans were primed and ready because of the New England pulpits. Mm -hmm. These men preached from their pulpits what? A matter of justice No, that you go to heaven one day, Marcus. Well, they <laughs> preached that too. Yeah, no, they, that was like that was of course part of their message. But uh, you're right. That's, I'm, I'm being facetious. That they, of course, they preached about law and justice, the word of God. They preached to rulers. You must be just, ruling in the fear of God. That that was what they understood. They had a biblical frame of mind. It's like Austin Peterson, the atheist-ish, agnostic-ish, um, uh, libertarian candidate for president. When we had him on. The show, he couldn't justify any of his appeals to these things, and he admitted that you can't understand the West and what we have in America unless you understand the Bible. Mm-hmm. He knew, he knows that. He knows it. And that's the truth. That's, where, that's how our nation began. And now we're in a difficult situation where our nation says no to Jesus, no to God's law, and again, we reap the whirlwind. We're going to get it. And until Christians, specifically pastors in the pulpit start actually preaching the whole counsel of God, start preaching on these things, we are just going to just get eaten away by all this injustice and all of this bloodshed. Because I'll tell you what, when you don't follow God's ways, your world falls apart. And I want to say that's what's happening. People say, well, how how did we get in this place? Well, because we don't respect the word of God, the authority of Jesus Christ. And don't forget, again, last thing I'll say here, Psalm chapter 2, obey the Son or you'll perish. Mm-hmm. That's current. Dualism. Dualism. We're reaping the 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 results of that. Yeah, dualism. That's right. That Jesus is the king over heaven, but not so much over the kingdom here. Mm-hmm. Right. The, the 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 kingdom of Jesus is just this spiritual sort of gassy, fuzzy, out there kind of world 
where Jesus rules over heaven, over Neverland, but not so much in the affairs of men here. Well, you know, that's it's easy to take that position when you live in an ivory tower as a theologian somewhere, but the moment difficulties actually start to affect your children, your home, and the world around you, you're going to have to see that you're going to have to abandon that foolishness right. and start looking at the scriptures and saying, well, what does God actually say here? I mean, it matters. Right. It's a love for neighbor kind of thing. So we'll be right back, guys. More with Apologia Radio. Get us at ApologiaRadio.com. We're going to talk about just war theory. We're going to talk about how we should approach these issues as believers. More with Luke the Bear, Steady Randy, Marcus, King Ginger, and myself right here on Apologia Radio. Hey Alex, is your marriage hard? Yeah Chris, it is. But like climbing a mountain, it's hard going up, but once you're at the top, it's beautiful. I wish there were a place where people would talk about marriage and the gospel. Wait, there is our podcast, The Rugged Marriage. I really feel like I should have known that. Yeah, recording a commercial has a way of bringing on amnesia. Well, check out The Rugged Marriage on iTunes and Stitcher. Reform your theology, reform your marriage. And buy your wife some tulips. But in order for me to tell you the good news, I must share with you the bad. A beard can be a most magnificent thing, but it can also be the downfall of a man. An unmaintained beard prevents a face from shining. An unmaintained beard causes dry, itchy skin. An unmaintained beard is a source of beardruff. You know, like dandruff, but beardruff. An unmaintained beard is sharp and ruthless, like iron bristles, not good for the lady friend. An unmaintained beard forfeits future growth based on the lack of preparation today. And let's not forget that an unmaintained beard robs your face from smelling amazing. Let not thy beard be thy downfall protect your manlyhood an epic combination of manliness and manhood if you're hearing this today there is hope for your beard go to yukonsbeard.com and enter the code apologia and you can save some money while you save your face We're back. Don't forget, guys, you can go to ApologiaRadio.com. You can sign up for all access. You get access to every television show that we've ever done, our after shows, excellent resources on a host of issues, as well as Apologia Academy. And let me tell you, give me just a, a moment here on the goal of that. It's, it's our hope um, as Apologia Church, that we would be able to fill the world up with solid teaching that makes much of Jesus. Um, and so that's really the purpose of Apologia Radio, TV, the after show, the academy. We want to equip believers with solid theological teaching, the gospel, apologetics, a defense of the faith, so that you might be made ready to be an effective witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we really have hope for the future that Jesus wins in history, not just at the end of history, within history. In order to get there, we know that we have to be prepared. We have to know the Word of God. We have to know how to, how to actually work through some of these cultural issues and be able to speak the Word of God prophetically 
um, into all those areas. And so the purpose of Apologia's ministries is to really do what the church in the book of Acts was doing. They were, of course, as a church meeting together, breaking bread together. They were in the apostles' teaching. They were taking care of each other's needs. Uh, that's what we do at Apologia Church. But they were also out in the marketplace. They were out in the place of highest philosophical debate and discussion. They were actually proclaiming the gospel out there where everybody was. And it actually created conflict. It was creating, there were riots that were started as a result of it. But that was the mission of the church. They were actually living lives of risky missionary sacrifice in the world. And so that's the purpose of Apologia Church's ministry, Apologia Radio Studios, all that stuff is, is to fill Okay, the early Christians were being um, charged with filling Jerusalem up with this teaching. We want to fill mm-hmm. the world up with this teaching. That's what we want to do. And so that's we want to equip you. We want to give you hope for the future. We want to tell you about the Lordship of Christ over all things. We want to tell you what the Bible says about all these different areas. And that's the, that's the point, is, is, to, is to raise up um, people in, in, in solid, solid teaching, to be an encouragement to people, to... To, to preach the gospel and do evangelism and to let you guys have a, um, to be a, you know, our videos of evangelism, it's so that you guys can be Lord, a sort of a fly on the wall, right? So you get to listen to the conversation right. and learn from it and be able to go out yourself and do it um, under the authority of your local church. That's that's really the, the hope and goal of Apologia uh, Studios. And so we're back now. We're talking about, of course, um, a, an important topic. We're talking about just war theory, a biblical view of just war theory. Now, of course, in one show, we can't exhaust this subject, but um, we're going to get to actually one particular point of contact in terms of um, people saying, well, hey, you know, if there's wars and, and all these different things going on, if uh, society collapses because of war and economic difficulty, does that mean that, uh, you know, the kingdom of God is failing in history and, you know, post-millennialism isn't true? We're going to answer that. Uh, of course, but before we do, uh, we're also going to talk about some current events with Russia and uh, the possibility of war with Russia. Yeah, I actually just said that on 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 the radio. Can't believe I'm saying that. The possibility of war with Russia right now um, that uh, a lot of people aren't taking, I think, as seriously as we ought to. Not hysteria, not freaking out, not going and you know hiding uh, underground, those sorts of things. But like a genuine conflict that is right now underway. Uh, you can read about it anywhere. Uh, and we're going to talk about that just a bit. Before we do, I think we had some questions. Randy, you had something yeah, you want to ask? Yeah, I'd like to bring a couple of uh, questions up. You know, we talk about applying this doctrine in the modern era. So uh, one of the words that's kind of uh, bantered about as far as the rights uh, that the United States asserts is this idea of a preemptive strike. Now, a preemptive strike is based on the assumption that there's an enemy out there that's planning an imminent attack. So contrasting this with what you talked about the British... Right. British were coming. There is no doubt that they were coming. And yet the congregation was instructed, you do not fire the first shot. Yeah. But this doctrine, we're firing the first shot. Right. Comment on that. Yeah. So the the idea is in terms of um, righteousness, holiness, justice, is that you fight a defensive war. And of course, that's what um, Pastor Jonas Clark uh, instructed his congregation is that you fight a defensive war, not an offensive one. Because you want God to bless your fight, and they um, still fought wars stupidly too. Yeah, yeah. Right? It wasn't a, like they were hiding, waiting for the first shot. They probably all stood in the line, line like up. knowing they were going to get nailed. Yeah, really crazy stuff. How they did that. And, uh, yeah, so warfare has definitely uh, changed a bit in the United States. 
Um, but yeah, so the, the, the point is, is to think about the whole of the Bible in terms of how the Bible talks about killing another human being. The Bible doesn't take that lightly. Yes, there's a lot of death and a lot of warfare in the Bible. And there are times when God actually commands his people to wipe out an entire people group because of sin. His justice was going to come down on them. His wrath was coming down. And so he instructs his people through divine revelation of what his will is and they're to move forward doing that. But it was always provocation. There was always sin. There was always injustice and unrighteousness going on. And so God can make those calls for his people and tell them. Now, when we think about now, uh, with Christ raised, seated on his throne, we have his revelation before us. And we think about his revelation, we have to ask the question, okay, without a word from God, a direct revelation from heaven telling us this is what you are to do in this particular conflict, without that now under the new covenant era we have to look at the scriptures and say what are what is godly wisdom in terms of how to actually engage and all you can see throughout the scriptures is that you must be clear about ratzak ratzak is the word that uh, is used in the ten commandments you should not kill the word there is ratzak and the semantic domain of the word is ultimately murder um and so we have to be careful engaging in a conflict with somebody making sure that we're not engaged in actual murder of another human being. Killing is allowed in the Bible mm. um, and justifiable killing. Uh, there's killing even allowed in God's word for capital punishment when somebody kills somebody else. So, of course, killing another human being is a possibility in a fallen world. It's an awful part of our experience, but it happens. And so we have to ask the question, am I engaging in the murder of another human being by my actions? And the, the real only way you can actually filter through that is to determine whether or not you're being attacked. Now, if somebody says, for example, well, I think we have the potential to be attacked, you got to really work through those things, I think, on an individual basis. What, what exactly do you mean by that? How do you know for sure that you're, someone's going to actually kill you? But think about it in terms of God's justice in the Bible. There's no minority po- report crimes in the Bible. So, in other words, how we do it often is to say, well, you're about to commit a crime, I think. Uh, you might commit a crime, and so I'm going to put you away for what you might commit. Uh, you don't see that large-scale kind of thinking in the Bible. You see a crime is committed, and it's dealt with in a just and a swift way. Um, now, now, when you think about that principle um, in, the, in moving that towards conflict with another nation, you have to ask the question, well, are we absolutely sure that we're going to be attacked right now? And again, individual basis, there might be... Um, different factors that actually have to be applied and thought through here. But, you know, we're not even always dealing with something that's so obvious and clear. For example, the big war we just got into recently where we said, well, they have, they have uh, weapons of mass destruction. You know, just say, well, how, are you sure about this? Do you know for sure? Have they pointed one at you? Do you have video of someone pointing a weapon of mass destruction at you? Did somebody have their finger on the firing button and you have proof of this? Or is it just that these people have weapons of mass destruction and so therefore we should obliterate them? It's worse than that. Right. It's they're trying to make them. Right. <laughs> it's not even that they and, have now, them. Now think about the hypocrisy as well involved in the claim. Um, we, and, and we're going we're gonna to have lives lost and we're going to kill people and possibly even civilians because of the potential that you might have a weapon that you could potentially use on us one day. That we have. Oh, it's that a weapon that we have. We have. <laughs> we have these weapons. And so therefore, we're going to go ahead and preemptively strike you for something you might do 10 years from now. That is unjust from a biblical perspective. 
Now, we should always, you saw what that pastor said in ruling justly and uh, in the fear of God. He, you know, that pastor is giving a biblical view of warfare. You don't get in, in, embroiled in a, for, a foreign war uh, because of minor infractions or even quickly because of a large infraction. He said he even puts that in there. Even under a large infraction or um, hurt, you don't just jump right into conflict, you know, think through it. But you certainly don't do um, preemptive strikes and wars <laughs> with a loss of lots of human life because of what somebody maybe might do one day. What if Iran were to attack us for building nuclear weapons? Then we would be able to fight back justly. No, I know, but like... I'm saying, like, if we can go after Iran right. for building nuclear weapons, what if they were to say, hey, you know what? Let's go after America for building nuclear weapons. Right. No, no, like, yeah. Who would be just, the, if it's just for us to go after Iran, is it just for Iran to come after us? Well, the only reason that it wouldn't, we, we don't fear that is because they don't have the capabilities that we have. So we're the dominant superpower. We're the ones that can that can engage in that kind of warfare. They can't. That's why we're not too... We're the O'Doyles. <laughs> they were the O'Doyles. Uh, so here's the thing. Look, don't take anything that we're saying today in terms of, you know, we don't, we don't love America. We hate our country. We don't respect our military. That's not what's being said here. It's, it's, we're thinking ter- in terms of what is pleasing to God as a nation and how we handle other nations and how we actually take human life. You know, we have to consider the fact that, you know, some of the pictures coming out of Syria right now are pictures of total devastation and loss of life. We're seeing pictures of, uh, you know, little children covered in blood. We're seeing children of families covered in blood. Those sorts of things. Those are, those are horrible things. But that is the collateral damage of war and conflict. And we don't get ourselves involved in that willy-nilly. We don't do it off of speculation of what somebody might have done might be doing or might do in the future. That's not biblical and that's certainly not just. And you do not see that in the founding era of our society in America that we had that kind of view of war. Um, It was much different. I mean, just like I said, think about, that's why I played it, the shot heard around the world. War for independence. We can all go back to that. We all learned about that in school. Maybe not the whole story, but we learned about it. Look, that was a defensive posture. You fight, you let them, let them shoot first. Because we need to be def- defensive for God to bless that kind of a war. So, okay. So it, it almost sounds like you know. Well, but you don't understand because now we have nuclear weapons. So the first shot is is pretty serious. It is right. Right. So, but still, are we are we more afraid of nuclear weapons or God's favor on the outcome? Right. Yes. And what what tends to happen when you have two nations with um, nuclear missiles? Um, you're 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 both forced into a position we we should also ask the question whether nuclear missiles um is 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 good for the world you know moving forward and i believe that there will be a day when the hearts and minds of people have been changed and where they have been redeemed we will put all those weapons away they will they will ultimately be destroyed of course but nuclear weapons puts us in an entirely different situation right now. Uh, and, and, and I think that oftentimes we react in ways that, we, that are unjust because of the potential threat maybe of a nuclear weapon. And that creates even more um, conflict with nuclear weapons and other people wanting to get them be, be, because of that kind of devastation. And well, so and we, supposedly we're, we should have defense mechanisms set up that shoot down those missiles from what I've heard. So, I don't think that that would be a valid excuse to say, "Well, they're gonna—they might shoot a nuke, a nuke at us, so we need to strike first. 
you know, we have those defense mechanisms in place so that if they were to shoot one, we could shoot it out in the air and would never even, from what I've been told. So I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. Right. Yeah, I don't know either. I yeah. mean, you always think about, well, what happens if one gets through? Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> and, 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 and of course, these are complicated questions, but what we have to do as, as Christians is say, what are the biblical principles we're supposed to actually wade through these questions with? And what I'm saying is that we're not doing it. We're, we're not even doing it. Right. Even as Christians within the church walls, we're not having these questions large scale answered to say, right. well, what are biblical principles we're supposed to apply to nuclear Right. Nuclear attacks. Yeah. You know, we need to be doing that as Christians. Pastors in the founding era of our of our nation, they did have these questions and answers. So here's, right. a, here's a question. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you hear more? Yeah. yeah he's got, he does he one more. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so um, going back into our nation's history, you know, it seems like an eternity. 1949. Wow. That's ancient, right? Older than me. So, uh, so we had the uh, Mutual Defense Assistance Act. And that uh, doctrine basically said uh, if if we pledge a mutual assistance to another nation, then an attack on them is like an attack on us. Right. So initially it was applied to Europe, you know, defense pact, but now it's uh, military, sometimes it's economic. What about those kinds of situations pulling us into conflicts that really aren't right. our conflict? Right. So the idea of foreign intervention in the case of uh, a treaty or pact we have with other, another nation to uh, essentially be a coalition with them in, in, the, in the event of, of warfare on their side. Um, I want to say that it's possible, of course, biblically to, be, to have a treaty or a covenant with a nation to form together as an alliance. That's, that's possible, of course, to say that you could do that sort of a thing, to be in an alliance with another nation, um, but only in just causes. And it shouldn't be a blanket we will be with you no matter what, even if it's unjust. We're going to go ahead and go into a fight with you. Um, let's say you make a promise with a nation. Yeah, we'll team up with you to be a coalition uh, in case of warfare in just a just situation. Um, <clears throat> I want to say, I would say that a nation shouldn't be involved in those kinds of um, uh, treaties and pacts because it brings your people and your property um, into collision in another person's fight. And I think that that's not righteous and good. But let's say that, that someone had that pact today. They have it today. We promise to defend Britain. If, they, if they're ever in a conflict, we're just going to follow them right into it. Just or unjust, we're going because we promised. Somebody says, we can't back out of our promise because we're already in a pact with them. Um, that's not biblical. Um, to say that you've got to keep your promise in that case because you made that promise, so now go fight an unjust war and kill women and children, potentially. An example of this taking place in Scripture is in 1 Samuel chapter 14. King Saul, in chapter 14, read the whole chapter, King Saul essentially makes a command, and he says that no one's to do this, and who does it? Who ends up doing it? Jonathan. His son ends up doing it, right? Um, And so when Jonathan ends up doing what Saul commands no one to do, Saul made a pact. He made a promise the promise that Saul made was that if anybody does this, they're going to be cursed. They're going to die. Now, who ends up doing it? His own son, right? And so now Saul is in, in a bit of a pickle because he's made, he's given a decree as a king. If anybody engages in this behavior, if anybody does this activity, essentially it's eating. He ate. And he says, if anybody does it, then you're going to die. Well, he finds out that his own son did it. And so what Saul say? He says, well, I, you know, I swore that if anybody does this, does this then I'm going to have to kill my son even. So I'm going to kill my son. What happens is that the men, and you can read in, um, in verses 43 and on, when the, when the men find out what he's planning to do, 
the men reject the word and promise of the king and they say, no, you're not. You're not touching them. No, you're not going to kill them. We don't care that you've made the covenant, that you've made the promise, that you said it's going to take place. You're not going to engage in an unrighteous act just because you made a promise about something. We're not going to have Jonathan die because you made a promise to kill anybody who did this. So no. So these lesser magistrates, in a sense, resist the word of the king and they reject him and what he promised and they tell him, no, you're not going to engage in that. You're not going to kill your son. No one's dying here today. And so that's a good example of even when a promise is made from a governing official to do something, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to commit to that and do it because otherwise you're breaking a promise. If it's unjust and unrighteous, then you have to pull back and you have to break your word. What if the nation is Israel? And that's, there you go. So this shows you why wow. eschatology eschatology matters. Dang, you went there. Wow, yeah. you went there, right? Eschatology matters, right? So a lot of the difficulty that we get into today in the Middle East <laughs> comes um, down to our support of uh, Israel, the people in the land of Israel right now. Um, this is, a, of course, a big conversation, an important conversation to have. But I want to say that much of the conflict that we get into is as a result of our support of Israel, and that support of Israel is eschatological in nature. So you have many modern evangelical Christians that have a particular view of the people in the land of Israel right now and a particular view of the future. And therefore, our support of this nation is oftentimes not because the issues are just necessarily, but because Israel is the people of God and God has a plan for Israel, and those over there are the chosen people of God, and so we must support them. That, of course, goes against the teaching of the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 2, moving into chapter 3. It goes against the teaching of Jesus in Revelation when he says, I will make those who say they are Jews, they are not. They lie. They are a synagogue of Satan. Uh, he'll make them, as I think he says, worship and bow at your feet. Jesus actually says that people can say that they're Jews and lie. They're really a synagogue of Satan. Um, If you don't, listen, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ as Messiah, if you don't submit to him and trust in him, you are not a child of God. You are not a descendant of Abraham. People who are descendants of Abraham are those who are the faith of Abraham. That's the faith of Jesus. And that means Jew and Gentile alike through faith are true spiritual Jews. Anybody who rejects Jesus as Messiah is not a Jew. And we should not base an entire foreign policy and foreign intervention upon a nation because we say they're the chosen people of God. What if they're engaged in lawlessness? What if they're engaged in wickedness and unrighteousness? What if what they're doing is unjust? Well, as a Christian, I think we're going to be held to account if we support a nation that is acting wickedly. And I'm not saying that they anything in particular right now that they are. I'm saying in general terms, if we support people in the land of Israel because we call them the chosen people of God, when they're doing things that are unrighteous and unjust, then we're going to be held to account for that. And we should not get involved in a war in the Middle East because those are the chosen people of God. No way. No way. You are not a chosen person of God unless you are a person who has faith in Jesus. Well, what's the true circumcision? Is it in the flesh or in the heart? It's in the heart, mm-hmm. right? And so those who are true Jews are those who are of the faith of Abraham. That's the faith of Jesus. And that's something, of course, that might offend some of our listeners. I want to say, please keep listening. And please consider what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans in the first few chapters about what makes somebody truly Jewish. Look what the Apostle Paul calls the church. 
He calls the church the Israel of God. Look what Jesus says in Revelation to people who claim to be Jews but are not, and they reject him. Look what he says. He says they're a synagogue of Satan. That, that we had to consider that. There's neither male, female, Jew, Greek, slave, free. We're all one in Jesus Christ. You, you're, you're, you're a Jew because of faith in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And if you're a Gentile, you're a Jew because of faith in Jesus. And we certainly should not be involved in warfare because of an eschatological belief system, which is honestly one of the main reasons we get into conflict is because American evangelicals are addicted to the idea that there is a seven-year tribulation ahead of us, there is a plan for Israel according to that whole scheme, and um, the is, people in Israel today are the chosen people of God. Not, you know, notwithstanding uh, the issues with uh, homosexuality rampant in Israel and their support of it, notwithstanding the, uh, the bloodshed through abortion, uh, state-funded abortion in that, in that land today, notwithstanding the, the outright rejection of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you know, we need to consider those things. They matter. They matter, they matter a great deal, and we, certain should, we certainly shouldn't be losing our sons and daughters because of bad eschatology. Okay, so here's a question for you. So you mentioned Syria, and I th- I think I saw on Facebook this week that there's uh, been a lot of Christians being beheaded and even crucified. I think it was in Syria. Um, it doesn't have to be Syria, but just say that it is. So there's a lot of Christians being persecuted, being murdered publicly. Um, do we as a nation that has the ability to rescue those Christians from being murdered, do we say hands off, not getting involved in that? Or do we say... That's where diplomacy right. has to come in. And that's the thing where the pastor is talking about here um, in, that, in that sermon. Diplomacy, getting a coalition of other nations, working for humanitarian um, um, relief and rescue. You can, of course, um, bring rescue to people who are oppressed without declaring World War III. Right. And what's interesting here is that the conflict with the United States right now and Russia, which of course includes China, (laughs) um, and that conflict is not taking place because Christians are being killed at all. Um, But is there a potential um, rescue operation possible according to a biblical worldview because Christians are being slaughtered? Yes, but it doesn't have to be warfare. Um, and I think we're, we're living in a time today, right? We have so many potential mm-hmm. means to actually bring rescue to people like that without actually declaring war with a nation and, and risking the lives and property of American citizens as a result of it. And besides, here's the thing. What, what, this, this is the overall thing. Okay, look, please, please hang on and listen to this. The overall principle, what does Jesus say when Peter cuts the ear off of the man at the garden. Jesus puts the ear back on and he says what? Live he, by the sword. He says those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Now, again, please hear this. We are in no way pacifists. And we are in no way suggesting that the Bible does not give you um, a righteous foundation for a just war. But we are pointing out that if you're a nation who lives by the sword... You will die by the sword. Mm. If that is your M.O., if that's what it is, is to is to engage in constant conflict and to flex your muscles and to fire off missiles and bullets, if that's your M.O., you live by the sword, you die by the sword. And the last 60 years of our nation's history screams that at us. 
we have we are involved in fights around the world yeah. right now. It's because we have an unbiblical view of warfare, an unjust view of warfare, and we live by the sword, we die by the sword. If you constantly flex those muscles and you you fight that kind of warfare, you're going to be involved in it constantly. And sometimes you might get involved in warfare that doesn't even concern you, and now you've risked the lives and property and future of your people because you went by two quarreling people and you got yourself involved in that fight when you should not have. Mm-hmm. You should not have. You know, the situation that's happening in Syria right now, Russia's involvement and now our involvement has got us involved in a very volatile situation. I don't know that I need to explain um, the potential for devastation if we continue the course that we're on. And when you consider um, an alliance between Russia and China. And Iran. (laughs) Iran. When you consider American forces and British forces and and a few others getting involved in a conflict, we're talking about very serious business. And again, if you're listening to this right now and you don't even know what's going on right now with this conflict and it's news to you, just know, first and foremost, we believe Jesus wins. We don't believe in in, in promoting mass hysteria and conspiracy theories. What we're going to talk about today is actual, real facts, events that are happening right now in the world um, actual potential for conflict. Uh, there are parts and pieces already being moved. And listen, praise God. If nothing happens, then praise the Lord. Nothing happens. But it's good to talk about because it's there's a potential of, of major conflict. Uh, and so we should think about it as Christians. How should we actually respond to these sorts of things? Uh, you had something? Yeah, one more question I, I told you about since we're taking questions, then you can explain. Um, so one of our listeners, uh, All Access member actually, uh, message us i think it was yesterday he said um i'm an officer in the u.s army and i hear you guys talk about our country being under judgment does that mean then that it is sinful to go to war on behalf of a country that is under judgment i'm just trying to reconcile the two that's a tough question to answer completely right. I, I would let me just give a general principle um in being involved in warfare in the scriptures is voluntary and so um you know when you force people to go to war uh, that's considered judgment by God. So First Samuel chapter 8, um, they want a king like the other nations. And God says, okay, I'll give you a king. Here's what he's going to do. He's going to take 10% of your money. So 10% tax was a curse from God. And he's going to take your children to war. Where are we at today? We've got a draft. We've got taxes that way outdo a 10% tax, right? Yeah, three, four, five times more. Yeah, so we have a lot more than that. We're clearly under judgment. Um, but... Again, in the, in the Bible, that that um, involvement in warfare is voluntary, and um, again, it's seen as a curse if people are thrown into battle in the way that First Samuel eight describes. Uh, I think that it's important that we have the option for people to be um, conscientious objectors to warfare. So, as Christians, I think we should be able to say. I don't believe that that's a righteous cause and I want to opt out of it. Um, I think we should be able to say that I don't believe God is pleased with this. I don't believe this is just warfare. And so I should be able to opt out of that. Now, don't let, please listen, don't let what you think about people in the 70s or late 60s that fled to Canada out of a, a battle. Don't let what you think about them 
impact what you're hearing me say right now in terms of thinking someone's a coward or something like that. I mean, genuinely, think as a Christian, the United States, say, is involved in an unjust war. It's obviously unjust. Do you think that we should be flinging Christians out into battle to shoot people, other human beings, to kill them uh, because we just have that obligation, because we're patriots, because America? I want to say as Christians, we have a higher obligation to a higher authority, uh, to a higher standard. And we should be able to say that's actually not just. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not going to fire a bullet at, an, at another image bearer of God. We should be able to say that. And uh, you're hearing this come from a person who has a great respect for just wars in the past. And actually, I praise God for them. I say, praise God for that just war. I know there was a loss of life, but you know what? Praise God that it happened. He was, he was sovereign over it. It needed to happen. I believe that. But if you're a person in the military today and you say this is clearly unjust, it's clearly ungodly, I can't kill another human being and feel good about that in this case because it's unjust and against God's word, I would say you, of course, should have the ability to say, I have to step aside. I can't kill another human being um, just because America. Right. That's important. Dedication and devotion to the authority of Jesus has to come above your dedication and devotion to any nation. Hmm. Has to. It must. Pledge of Allegiance? Pledge of Allegiance. Oh, big discussion. Okay. <laughs> Save that one for another episode because I don't want to I don't want to um, upset too many people today. <laughs> uh, any more? No. That's no? What I okay. So quickly, I'm going to just... Um, should we take a break so we have a commercial in here, Marcus? Sounds good to me, man. Okay. Quick break and then we'll come right back and do the last segment. We'll actually update you guys on the current stuff happening in the world and we'll talk about that quick verse in wars and, of wars and rumors of wars in Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse. How does that actually apply and affect how we view the future? For 21 years and counting, New St. Andrews College has sought to obey Christ's great commission to disciple nations and build him a house, not just in Jerusalem, but throughout the world. Not with stones and mortar, but with living stones. We build and fight. This is the task of a Christian liberal arts college, to equip students with the tools to build and fight. And this is our joyful task as we seek to graduate leaders who shape culture through wise and victorious living. To learn more, check us out online at nsa.edu forward slash explore. What's up, y'all? This is Jeff Durbin with Apologia Radio at ApologiaRadio.com. Want to talk to you guys about an amazing connection that we have right now with Whitfield Theological Seminary. I want you to run over to Whitfield.edu, Whitfield.edu, W-H-I-T-E-F-I-E-L-D.edu. I want you to check out the programs they have. They have undergraduate programs at Whitfield College, and they also have Whitfield Theological Seminary for the graduate degree and above and beyond. I, I think you'll really be impressed with the rigorous nature of the classes, the consistent biblical worldview taught and adhered to. I want you to contact Whitfield Theological Seminary at whitfield.edu. Get a hold of our friend, Dr. Kenneth Talbot, and start your classes today. ApologiaRadio.com. Matthew 24, Luke 21, 
Mark 13. In the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that is a section on the Olivet Discourse. And of course, you know it. It's the stuff of people's nightmares sometimes. It's the, it's the foundation for so many books on prophecy. Mm-hmm. So many books that have gone in print and out of print. So, uh, so many books that have raised the hairs on people's necks in fear over what is on the horizon. We have books that have been written um, for really a long, long, long time that have used the text in the Olivet Discourse to point to things that were happening in their day to say, look, we're on the precipice of eternity now. We're any moment away from the um, judgment of Christ and the end of the world. And so we need to talk about that for a moment Postmillennialism was the dominant view in this nation for a long time. Listen, our, our eschatology is the yep. eschatology of the Puritans. They, they, have an, they had an optimistic view of the future. They believed that the kingdom of Christ had come into the world. They believed that Jesus was going to win the world by the gospel. When they came over to the United States even, they came over and specifically said the reason they were coming was to expand the kingdom of Jesus. That's why they were coming. And they believed in total victory. That Jesus was going to win, not just at the end of history, but within history. That was their frame of mind. Now, of course, things have changed. The popular eschatology today is the eschatology of defeat. Which has only been around for less than 200 years. Yeah, so, I mean, the eschatology of defeat uh, in, in the context of uh, the future secret rapture, the seven years of tribulation, followed by the coming of Christ on earth to bring his kingdom for a thousand year literal reign, literal reign on earth, which would, then there will be a final end to that, and then the eternal state. Um, so that's the popular view of today. You might find that in the Left Behind series, Tim LaHaye, Jerry B. Jenkins, uh, Hal Lindsey, uh, those people uh, you know, hold to that particular view. It's popular. I'd say it's the dominant view, maybe, of American evangelicals in terms of what is happening in the future. But listen, after World War I and World War II, people started looking at postmillennialism and saying, well, it can't be true because of World War I. You can't believe post-millennialism after World War II. You can't believe post-millennialism after the Holocaust. If things are supposed to be getting, quote-unquote, better, mm-hmm. then how, how come this took place in our century? The last century was the bloodiest of all centuries. Stalin, Pol Pot, Mao, all these different leaders that have come and slaughtered so many. How could you say the world's getting better? Well, listen, here's, here's the perspective. The world is going to be won by Jesus through the gospel. Mm. And as the kingdom of Christ advances throughout history, it advances through the gospel, through salvation and redemption, not through arms and physical fights, but through the gospel. And there are going to be times of suffering. Postmillennialists do not believe that the world gets quote unquote better and better and better, and there will never be any more difficulties or suffering. There won't be any moments of correction in history. We actually fundamentally believe that there will be moments of great correction in history. I have a, I have a quote from that uh, those sermons Please, that yes. you have. This is from Jacob Cushing in 1778, and the sermon is called Divine Judgments Upon Tyrants. And it's pretty lengthy, so I'll try to be quick. Okay. 
Likewise, the Christian church through the world has ever, uh, sorry, likewise, the Christian church, though the world ever was an enemy to it, has been firmly established. It has been maintained against cruel persecution and the greatest violence, and though continually burning, it has not been consumed, though tossed with tempest and worried by its oppressors and adversaries, frequently passing through the furnace of affliction, yet it retains a form more bright and beautiful as the spouse of Christ and the joyful mother of children, which no man can number. Indeed, churches are not perfect or complete. They are apt to decline and transgress. Nothing, therefore, can be more equal and fit than that God should, in his holy providence, manifest his righteous displeasure against backsliding churches that have fallen from the power and purity of religion into a state of corruption. Should it happen that in times of persecution, bloodshed, and war, the church may be reduced in its members, still the remnant may become more refined, holy, and heavenly. The faith and patience of the saints be more exercised, their zeal and piety more imminent, and practical godliness more gloriously appear. And then in due season, God raises his church and people from their afflicted and oppressed rate and rendereth vengeance to the adversaries and persecutors. Thus Babylon of old was punished for her cruelty and oppression of the Jewish church, and thus shall it likewise be in the case of mystical Babylon, which, after having been long suffered to prevail and to make war with the saints of the Most High, shall have a mighty downfall wherein the vengeance and justice of Almighty God shall be illustriously displayed, of which we have a striking description in the book of Revelation. Interesting. There you go. And that was in the 1700s. So, yeah. So I really want to ask the question, do you think think dispensationalists can build nations? Hmm. Do they want to? Well, right, right. But would their eschatology allow them to? Right. Because, I, I mean, obviously, it's only been around 200 years. Right. That's a great question. Well, it doesn't provide the pillars to look at society and to think of the world as something to invest in. Because we believe, as dispensational premillennialists, that the world is going to hell in a handbasket. That ultimately things are moving towards fire and being burned up and destroyed. We believe that before Christ returns, there's going to be great, great difficulty and destruction. And so you're looking forward to society's crumble because that means the coming of Jesus. Whereas if you take a different perspective and you look at Isaiah 2, the prophecy there, if you look at Isaiah 9, Isaiah 11, if you look at Daniel 2, if you look at Daniel 7, if you look at all these passages, Psalm 110.1, Psalm 72, Psalm chapter 2, If you look at these passages and actually look at what the Bible says about the kingdom of Christ in the world, you see victory and history being won by Jesus and the people of God inheriting the world. And so when you take that perspective, you actually have a perspective that's long-term and then invests in the world that actually sees all of life under the authority of Jesus Christ and that every knee must bend to Jesus within Earth's history. Now, of course, I want to just point once again that let's say in the future... There becomes great difficulty. What if wars break out? What if an economic collapse actually takes place? Well, God is sovereign even over that. And I believe that we should have the perspective long-term, not short-sighted, not thinking that we're the most important part of history, time in history, nation in history. And we should see that God is doing something there. Maybe he's judging a nation that's sinned. Maybe he's judging a nation that has broken covenant with him. Maybe he's judging a nation so that he brings about a great revival for salvation for the kingdom. Postmillennialists do not believe that history only moves in an upward swing. We have moments of upward exactly. swing. We have moments of 
fall. We have upward swing, downward fall. But there's a movement upwards the whole entire way. Consider for a moment something R.C. Sproul Jr. said on our podcast a long time ago. He said, if you look at our nation, the land we live in today, he said, if you look back 400 years, how many Christians lived on this dirt? How many Christians were on this dirt 400 years ago? 500 years ago? You say, oh, goodness. That's like nothing. Mm -hmm. Right. How many Christians live here in the United States now? How many in Canada? How many in South America? How many are now in Australia? How many are in New Zealand? How many are across Europe? How many are in Iceland? China. 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 I mean, we've talked about it many times. The report's coming out that by the year 2030, China will be the most quote-unquote Christian nation. More Christians in China than anywhere else in the world. Isn't it more Christians than we have total people? Is that that what it is? I think it might might have been said like that, yeah. So we're moving, marching throughout history with the gospel of the kingdom, and there's going to be moments of great difficulty, and those moments of great difficulty do not mean that Jesus Christ's kingdom has failed. Not at all. If you look at the maps, there's an there's a pretty amazing little uh, uh, thing on YouTube about the history of the oh, Christian yeah. church, their history. And when you watch it like grow and crumble and grow and crumble and grow and crumble throughout history as the timeline moves along, there are moments where the Christian church was totally pushed back and almost looked like it was going to vanish from history after it had blown across continents. And then, mostly through Muslim invasions, the Christian church gets crunched down into this little mass of land, and then it blows up across the world again. We have now we have the gospel now in more places than we ever have in history. Don't tell me Jesus isn't winning just because America is having difficulty right now. Now, let's move on just to a quick answer to a question. Matthew 24, wars and rumors of wars. Matthew 24, verse 6. Jesus says, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye not be troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you read Matthew, you see that Matthew is moving towards a climax. And that climax, in terms of the judgment, is started from like Matthew in the very earliest chapters. Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist warns the Jews of his day. He says to bear fruit, keeping with repentance... He says, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Who warns you to flee from the wrath, mellow in the Greek, about to come? And you see, of course, Jesus in Matthew 10 telling them that they will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. They will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Matthew 16, that they would not all die before they saw the kingdom come with power. You see the parables Jesus gives of the owner of the vineyard who sends his son. They kill his son. And then what's he say? He's going to take the kingdom of God away from them and give it to others bearing the fruit of it. You see the promise of that wedding feast. All the people invited and the king sending his armies to burn down their city. Matthew chapter 23, the promise that upon them was going to be all of the judgment, essentially from the first person killed in the Bible all the way to this last prophet, he says that these are the days of vengeance. These are the days of vengeance. He's talking about his day. Mm. He says the judgment is going to be upon that generation. And in Matthew 24, he's now leaving the temple after pronouncing judgment, and he departs to the Mount of Olives, which is exactly the same course that the Spirit of God, the glory of God took in the Old Testament when he departed the temple and he points out the temples and he says, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Mm -hmm. What's he talking about? The temple. And what do they say? 
They say, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age, mm. not the end of the world. Ion. They understood the Old Testament, Old Covenant age would come to an end to make time for the Messianic age to come. And when they heard that the temple is going to be destroyed, they understood what that meant, the age of the Messiah. And what he tells them, he says, see to it that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name. So you have false Christ. And he says, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. And then, of course, he tells them that they're going to be put up, they're going to be delivered to tribulation, put to death. And what you need to see, of course, is in that very same chapter, Matthew chapter 24, he says very clearly, he says, verse 34, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. All these things contains everything he said in Matthew 24. And here's what I'm going to say. We've done shows on this. Go check them out. So who's still alive from that generation? Right. Right. We've done shows on this. Exegeting the text verse by verse. You need to check it out. Is the tribulation past or future? I think is the name of the episode we did. Uh, so we're not going to go into all that today. But here's the point. Wars and rumors of wars was about their generation. And it was really, really relevant because it was said during the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, where Rome essentially enforced peace. So why was it shocking for Jesus to say wars and rumors of wars? Because it was said during the Pax Romana. If, if Jesus said that about any, genera- any other generation in history, it wouldn't have any punch to it. If you were to say today, as a prophet today, hey, here's the sign of the end of the world, as they would put it. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Why would that be spectacular? Right. Why would that even be interesting? That's happening all the time. That's happened for the last hundred years. We can point to just tons of wars. It was compelling to them and important to them because it was the Pax Romana. And, what, and lo and behold, what took place within a generation of Jesus' prophecy here? The temple was completely destroyed. Not one stone was left upon another. There was so much bloodshed and tribulation. There were false Christs and messiahs everywhere. Read Josephus. You see all that taking place. There were wars and rumors of wars. Josephus records that at one point it was like the whole world was fighting with the whole world. And it happened relatively soon, quickly after the Pax Romana. That's why it was relevant. And so wars and rumors of wars, I'm sure, if conflict breaks out in the future, so many prophecy enthusiasts will say, this is a sign of the coming of Christ, his return for the final judgment. Why? Because there are wars and rumors of wars. That applied to the first century generation. Again, Jesus said that generation will not pass away until all those things took place. All things means all things. Mm -hmm. All those things he said. Now, remember, if you take Matthew 24 and you put it future to us, and you say those things apply to us, what does that mean about Jesus' prophecy? What does it mean? It means it failed. Mm -hmm. And are you willing to do that? Christian, are you willing to say that Jesus had a false prophecy? Because atheists use this all the time. So do the Mormons. And they don't have, they do, yes they do, and so do the Muslims. They don't have a right to it. It happened exactly the way Jesus said it was going to happen. But why are we giving it to them? That's the question. Why are we giving somebody this glorious prophecy, which actually was fulfilled, why are we giving it to them by putting this prophecy future to us? Wars and rumors of wars has nothing to do with our generation in this context. So that's important. 
Ready? Let's move on. All right. Okay. Here we go. You all right, Marcus? I'm good. <laughs> okay. I'm rough. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about what's happening in the news right now. I want to start by saying to all of our listeners that it's important as a pastor, for, for me as a pastor, to, to make sure that I communicate something to you as we start to discuss these things. I think that it's important as Christians that we actually do start bringing the Word of God into this realm. When we talk about just warfare, we start talking about image bearers of God killing one another. This is something that the Word of God speaks to. We have the answers. We, we have the Word from God about how we're supposed to conduct ourselves in God's world. Right. How nations are supposed to cooperate with each other. We have God's standards. So it ought to matter to us as Christians when things are happening around the world and the world is just trying to handle them in just these arbitrary ways. We should say, no, we have a fixed standard from God as to how we're to live in God's world. And we're supposed to have such a high respect for human life and image bearers of God that we don't just get involved in fights willy-nilly and cavalier and just start flinging bombs at people. And, you know, it, it's it's an important thing. And, you know, I, I may be sounding like a liberal to some people <laughs> in terms of caring about drones flying over people and blowing up families. Yeah. Maybe that sounds like a liberal argument to you. But you know what? I'm saying it's a Christian concern. It would have five years ago to me. Yeah. I mean, it's a Christian concern when you talk about bombs being dropped on families... That should matter to us. And the word of God counts there. And again, I look, I, one of my favorite Bible verses that was in my karate school many, many years ago. Huge. I don't mean like little on the wall. It was a massive sign on the wall. Psalm 144.1. Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. I love that passage. It was on my black belt. So when it comes to warfare, I'm in. Just war, I am in. Again, we're not pacifists. And I also want to say a second thing. As we talk about these current events, trying to think through them biblically, I want to say that it's important not to be alarmist. It's right. important for Christians not to be conspiracy theorists. When you Because some people go crazy. Some Christians go yes. nuts. People that are believers and supposed to have be sober-minded and think clearly start getting into questions about the Illuminati and you start getting into all these weird worlds. Let me say this right now. Repent of that kind of stuff. But I'm thinking, let's think with a sane mind. Let's think critically and biblically about what's happening in the world around us today. And to start... Let me go ahead and uh, read to you something that Randy just sent to me while we're in the middle of filming a recording. This is from... Did you say it Reuters or Routers? Reuters. 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 Okay. This is from Reuters. Exclusive. Obama aides expected to weigh Syria military options on Friday. And this is uh, U.S. President Barack Obama and his top foreign policy advisors are expected to meet on Friday to consider their military and other options in Syria as Syrian and Russian aircraft continue to pummel Aleppo and other targets, U.S. officials said. Some top officials argue the United States must act more forcefully in Syria or risk losing what influence it still has over moderate rebels 
and its Arab, Kurdish, and Turkish allies in the fight against Islamic State, the officials told Reuters. One set of options includes direct U.S. military actions such as airstrikes on Syrian military bases, munitions depots or radar and anti-aircraft bases, said one official who spoke on condition of anonymity to discuss internal deliberations. The official said one danger of such action is that Russian and Syrian forces are often commingled, raising the possibility of a direct confrontation with Russia that Obama has been at pains to avoid. So here we go. What was once a conspiracy theory, maybe in the minds of people, is set before us. It's a question we have to ask. It is something we have to face. Russia is linked up with Syria. Russia says that it is fighting ISIS, or ISIL, if you're liberal, uh, and don't want to say it a certain way. Russia says they want to kill the terrorists. So Russia says that we have a mutual enemy. Okay, that's what they say. Now, of course, there's a great concern of Russia's involvement with Syria. No question about that. We say that we want to take down ISIS and ISIL and all that stuff. And so Russia says, hey, we're on the same side. But we're saying, no, we're going to arm these people. And Russia says, no, I'm backing these people. And so now we're in a conflict. And Russia has been warning. Who are we backing? Well, we are trying to actually help the rebels in Syria. Is that ISIS? Well... That's the question that a lot of people ask. <laughs> That's who, an important question. Who are we actually? Right. Who are we actually helping in this fight? Okay, now we're not going to get into all that today. Just so you, maybe there'll be a show one day we do on that. But just so everybody understands, just a basic overview of the conflict: Russia and Syria are together, and Russia says they want to fight ISIS. We are against Syria because we want a particular people to actually be put into power. We're saying, hey, they need to get that dictator out. So mm-hmm. just just know that. Not our job. We, we Just know that. We're saying we got to get that dictator out of there because he shouldn't be there and we want to fight ISIS. Russia's like, I want to fight ISIS. I'll fight ISIS with you. And we're like, okay, well, we'll fight ISIS. We want the dictator out. And so it's a mutual enemy, but at the same time, we have a particular enemy and we want to promote democracy in Syria. Right. Okay. So ready? It's possible that World War Three might break out. Again, no hysteria, no alarmist, but it's possible World War Three might break out because we want democracy in Syria. <laughs> we want a dictator out. And we want to, of course, fight ISIS, but there's question as, questions as to whether we're being effective in that and who actually we're arming and how that's all unfolding. But Russia is saying... Well, we want to also fight ISIS. Let's fight them together. But no, I'm not going to stop backing Syria. So now this fight is on. Now, Russia has been warning us not to take military action that affects Russian soldiers or they're going to have to respond militarily. Now, of course, we have the president and uh, chiefs of staff and people meeting to say, what kind of military action can we take? So let's just go through a few things here. Uh, This is from the New York Post. October 12th, 2016. Here's a title on the New York Post. Putin could be readying for war, calls Russians back to motherland. Russian President Vladimir Putin could be prepping for global war in the wake of deteriorating relations with the United States and other Western countries, according to an incendiary new report. Putin sent out an order to top Russian official politicians and their children across the world demanding that they return to the motherland the Daily Star claimed. The order comes amid 
Rising tensions with the U.S. over Syria and Putin's last-minute cancellation of a planned trip to Paris to meet with French President Francois Hollande. This is all part of the package of measures to prepare elites to some big war, Russian political analyst Stalinslav Belkovsky told the Daily Star. Now listen, here's, here's the thing. You got to take everything you read in media with a grain of salt. For yeah, sure. I've actually heard from Russians because I was researching this. This 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 is like a tabloid journal. That's a tabloid journal. Okay? Yeah. But so here's the thing: these are the things that are being spread right now. That's it's, true. These yeah. are the things that are being spread right now. Okay. So there's certain things that you have to take with a grain of salt and say, well, is that really true? And there are certain things that are actually happening, like, for example, people talking about taking military action. In Syria, which would put us in a conflict with Russia. That's that's actually true. That's actually taking place. That's been a problem for a long time. And th- that is really the point we're at now in terms of conflict. Now, Russia did just do, uh, about a week or so ago, a major drill, a preparedness drill that involved like tens of millions of people. And so that got people alarmed in terms of like, well, what is, what is Russia really saying and doing? Are they trying to create fear? Are they trying to make a statement? Of course, Russia did also test some missiles just yesterday. I believe it was three missiles, um, some ballistic missiles. And uh, that was, of course, worrying for some. But here's the thing. They're flexing muscles. We're flexing muscles. And we're doing it over Syria. And of course, Russian um, leaders have said that if we make a move that affects Russian servicemen and their lives, then, of course, that will create a conflict between us. Okay, uh, Luke, I'm going to play this. Okay. This was... This is new. Uh, this was just published on October 6th. Um, this is uh, Senator Wicker pushing Carter and Dunford about a, a, enforcing a no-fly zone in Syria, but um, calling it by a different name... Uh, Carter stammers while giving his answer. Dunford tells Wicker that controlling the airspace requires going to war with Russia and Syria. Here's the thing. Okay, listen. You might say, oh, this is over my head. I haven't heard any of this. The, this is a, a four, I believe it's a four-star general. Mm. And he's before John McCain, actually. And they're talking about bringing in a, bringing in a no-fly zone. A no-fly zone, right? Of course, the no-fly zone wouldn't count for the Americans. Right. But the no, right. but the no fly zone. That's another story. And no, 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 that's that's where this comes out. Now you guys got to hear this because watch. I don't think it was supposed to be said, and I think it really, really freaked people out, and I think it angered McCain. Look here. He asked the chairman if he has anything to add. Senator, the only thing I'd say is, you know, as the situation on the ground changes, I think I have a responsibility. We, the Joint Force, has a responsibility to make sure. It's a four-star General Dunford. President has a full range of options. We have discussed that issue in the past under certain conditions. The conditions on the ground will change, and we'll continue to look at those options and make sure they're available to the president. What about the option of controlling the airspace so that that barrel bombs cannot be dropped? So everyone follow that? The question is creating a no-fly zone so we can stop bombs from being dropped. We create a no-fly zone. We enforce it. Now watch, watch what his answer is or listen to it. All, all the options. Uh, that, what do you think of that option, sir? Uh, right now, Senator, for us to control all of the airspace in Syria would require us to go to war against Syria and Russia. <laughs> That's a pretty fundamental decision that certainly I'm not going to make. 
to impose a no-fly zone. Chairman, Chairman, could I for a second say, just answer? No, no. Senator Gillibrand. That's not, that's not what I said, Chairman. Go ahead. Well, uh, yeah, I do. What, what, Senator, what Senator asked me was to control all of the airspace. No, what he asked was, should we have a no-fly zone right. so we can protect these people from I, being slaughtered? I, that's what he's talking about. I answered about. that first. That's what we're all talking about. So that would not... So, John McCain did not like that. No, no, no. Because this, listen, this is the... Oh, John McCain likes war. Yeah, this, this, I mean, this is General Dunford, four-star General Marine Corps. He's a part of the Joint Chief of Staff, and he's saying, look, if you want to have a no-fly zone in Syria, he says the only way to get a no-fly zone is to go to war with Syria and Russia. Right. <laughs> He, he was just saying it as, as it is. You, know, you want the no-fly zone, but the only way to get that is to go to war with Russia and Syria. And by the way, um, China is, of course, backing and supporting Russia at this time. Mm. I want you to think about that. Russia and China as a coalition over a democracy in Syria? over a dictator in Syria. Now, here's the thing. Am I saying as a Christian that the lives don't matter, that have been lost? Of course not. But what I'm saying as a Christian is, is it biblical? Is it righteous and just for us to get involved in somebody else's conflict to the, to the degree that it actually has us exercising military force against another superpower like Russia? Right, let me ask a question. Do you think there are going to be dramatic consequences if something like that takes place? Pretty dramatic. I'm going to say yes. Well, did you see what's in my Facebook feed today from Gorbachev? Have you seen that? No. So Gorbachev is saying, and this is from uh, the uh, the Telegraph in the UK, so it's a legitimate source. And he says, I think the world has reached a dangerous point. I don't want to give any concrete prescriptions, but I do want to say that this needs to stop. We need to renew dialogue. Stopping it was the biggest mistake. Yes. That's Gorbachev, tear down these walls guy, saying... Right. Guys, can we just talk? Right. <laughs> it's like it sounds like Trump in the debate. Can't we just get along? Yeah, can, yeah. can we just talk about these things? Can we just come back to the tick? Because this is good. This is really getting out of hand. It's getting a little. Out, it's getting a little out of hand, guys. Take a deep breath. <laughs> Everyone, take a deep breath. And and that's that's important because I think people recognize that we're we're at a, a crossroads right now where we got to stop puffing up our chests and start acting civilized. And I want to say we should act biblically, and we should we need to consider our actions because this conflict is not good and it's a result of an unbiblical foreign policy and that ought to matter to us as Christians. You know, my son is 17. He's almost 18 years old. So these things directly impact my family. He's almost 18 years old and you know what that means. So it should matter to us. We say it's just about the gospel. Right. I agree. The authority of Jesus Christ is in the middle of the gospel. He's king over the world. He gets to tell people what to do. And so it ought to matter to us. This is a gospel issue. I have to ask a question, though. Yeah. Has there ever been a time in the history of the church where a nation has gone to war and the church has stood against that nation and said, we don't support this war? Ask George Grant. Because yeah. that's... I don't know that, I mean, what, what happens in that... I mean, that time the church would be tried for treason... You know, that's, that's, those are questions we need to consider. Sure. It's like, because it's going to be hard to like 
have moral support to fight a war when the church is like, this is an unjust war and we shouldn't be involved in it. Mm. I, I bet you could find some examples maybe back in, you know, when Catholic uh, church history, when their, their political uh, swing was... Uh, they were an ecclesiocracy. Yeah. Yeah. So you could probably find some examples of that where one nation's trying to um, overcome the Catholic Church's influence, which wouldn't uh, which wouldn't be accepted by the Catholic Church. Yeah. So here is um, this is uh, published on October sixth. Um, this is a Russian general um, speaking about the conflict in Syria right now. So I'm, it's in Russian. So I'm going to read to you the translation. And just play in the background. I'm going to just read to you what he says. Leaks in the Western media allege that Washington is considering launching airstrikes against Syrian government forces. History shows that certain leaks transform to real actions. Of particular concern is information that the initiators of such provocations are representatives of the CIA. I would like to caution Washington's colleagues to conduct a thorough calculation of the possible consequences consequences of such actions. Today, Syrian army has an effective air defense system, S-200 and BUK and other air defense systems, and their technical capabilities have been updated over the past year. Furthermore, I warn American strategists that Russia currently has S-400 and S-300 air defense systems employed in the area. The radius of the weapon's reach may be a surprise, quote, to all unidentified flying objects. Russian air defense system crews are unlikely to have time to determine if a straight line, in a straight line, the exact flight paths of missiles and then who, who the warheads belong to. And all the illusions of amateurs about the existence of invisible jets will face a disappointing reality. And now finally, the most important thing, members of the Russian Reconciliation Center in Syria are working on the ground, delivering aid and communicating with a large number of communities in Syria. As a result of their work, 732 populated places and 100,000 Syrians went back to a peaceful life. Therefore, any missile or airstrikes on the territory controlled by the Syrian government will create a clear threat to Russian servicemen. I am warning anyone that after U.S.-led coalition jets bombed positions of the Syrian government forces on September 17th, We will take all necessary measures to prevent other American mistakes against Russian military or other military facilities on the territory of Syrian Arab Republic. So there is a uh, Russian general warning that if anything takes place that puts Russian lives at risk, that they will take appropriate military action. And so these are the conversations that are happening. And here's the thing, like I said, maybe in God's mercy and grace in this situation, it fizzles out, cooler heads prevail, and everything mm-hmm. is fine. But in terms of thinking about the future as Christians and speaking prophetically to our government, what should we be saying to our government in terms of their foreign policy of intervention? 
what should we be speaking to the world about just a just war theory? Should, should we allow our nation uh, to go on actually getting into fights, getting into other people's conflicts, and actually risking the lives and property of American citizens as a result of it? Should we be puffing our chest against a superpower like Russia? I mean, here's the thing. Like I said, and I was talking to Randy about this. Randy, you, you, you'll know this as, as well as, as me. I'm not much older than Luke, but um, I mean, I remember this vividly, distinctly in the 80s, uh, the cold end of the Cold War. I remember the conflict that was going on between us and Russia. Us, us and Russia. You probably have a much greater understanding of that conflict than, than I. I was only born in 1978, and so I'm sure you can remember times where the conflict was much Right. More difficult between us, us and Russia. Right. And, and uh, constant studies about uh, children from the time drawing pictures about the end of the world kind of scenarios as far as they're concerned. Right. Right. Uh, duck and cover exercises. That's right. You know, in school. Like yeah. Yeah. Mm. So um, were you, did you ever have to do any of that? I don't remember that. Yeah. I thought maybe we should do it here. You know? <laughs> Practice duck and cover here <laughs> in the studio. Uh, so, so here's the thing. We, we are at a new stage of this conflict between the United States and Russia. It's a conflict now that actually has us making threats to Russia and Russia making threats to us. We have not been there to this degree in a very, very long time. And it's not good. And I want to suggest as a Christian minister that it's the responsibility of the Christian church to speak prophetically to our government like the men did in the political sermons of the American founding era. It's our responsibility to be speaking to our government government officials and saying, look, you can't do this kind of stuff willy-nilly. Mm. We're talking about image bearers of God and we're talking about war and people dying, our children being lost and we don't want to do that because we got brought into a fight that took place between other people. And we certainly don't want to risk the lives of our children because of an unjust war. Mm. And, and, and that's important. And Mar- Marcus or Luke, did you have anything you wanted to say before I, I play this last clip? No, go ahead. Okay. No, I'm good. No? Okay, so what, one thing I want to play quickly here, and, and just understand, look, w- w- Ron Paul's not running for president. We're not voting for Ron Paul like in pr- the presidency. But, but look, this is a conversation that Ron Paul had about two years ago about Syria. And I think Ron Paul here has a pretty consistent um, view of intervention, at least with our founding fathers. And so you need to hear it. Here we go. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Plans, rumors, and war propaganda for attacking Syria and disposing Assad has been around for many months. This past week, however, it was reported that the Pentagon indeed was finalizing plans to do just that. In my opinion, all the evidence to justify this attack is bogus. It is no more credible than the pretext given for the 2003 invasion of Iraq or for the 2011 attack on Libya. The total waste of those wars should cause us to pause before this all-out effort at occupation and regime change is initiated against Syria. There are no national security concerns that require such a foolish escalation of violence in the Middle East. There should be no doubt that our security interests are best served by completely staying out of the internal strife now raging in Syria. What's that sound like? It sounds uh, almost <laughs> identical to the passage that I read from the sermon mm-hmm. preached before the governor in the founding of our nation. National security risk 
He said there is no national security risk to us in, right. this, in this conflict. Right. Do you see? It's not a defensive posture. It's an offensive posture. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. We are already too much involved in supporting the forces within Syria, anxious to overthrow their current government. Without outside interference, the strife, now characterized as a civil war, would likely be non-existent. Whether or not we attack yet another country, occupying it and setting up a new regime that we hope we can control poses a serious constitutional question. For where does a president get such authority? Since World War II, the proper authority to go to war has been ignored. It has been replaced by international entities like the United Nations and NATO or the president himself while ignoring the Congress. And sadly, the people don't object. Our recent presidents explicitly maintain that the authority to go to war is not the U.S. Congress. This has been the case since the 1950s when we were first taken into war in Korea under a U.N. resolution and without congressional approval. And once again, we are about to engage in military action against Syria and at the same time irresponsibly reactivating the Cold War with Russia. We're now, now that was about two years ago. This man. talk was about two years ago. Yeah, that, he, God gave us Ron Paul <laughs> as a prophet, didn't he? Yeah, we're, we're down we're, the ways now. Yeah, I, We're down the road. And now <laughs> we're in actual conversations of military, possible military action. Hmm. And I feel like I need to stress it again because Christians, sometimes we don't think fully critically about what's being said. I'm not being an alarmist. I'm not telling you it's going to happen. I'm not telling you conspiracy theory stuff. I'm thinking about it biblically. We are trying to reason through this with godly wisdom because this is a real potential for a fight. And I don't think it's wise. And I agree. I don't think that it's godly. I don't think that it's using the biblical principles that God has given to us. And I think it's a mess. And now, of course, let's talk about one last thing. What's the only answer? The gospel. The gospel, right. It's that people need to have their hearts changed. Dang it. Russians need to have their hearts changed. Syrians need to have their hearts changed. ISIS yeah. needs to have their hearts changed. We're, America. We're not going to defeat Islamic terrorism with guns. No! For goodness sakes. You kill a handful of terrorists, and guess what? The ideology is still there. The ideology spreads invisibly and and it makes their children angry and they rise up against you yeah which is why in the bible they would destroy entire civilizations like when god went to war yeah he said every man woman and child lest they rise up against you yeah and you know here's the thing islam and these radical extremists not every muslim believes those things not every muslim is after your children there they should be an object of your evangelism not your hatred we shouldn't be thinking about Arab people and Muslims right. as as um, right, deserving exactly. of a of a of a of a, of a the end of a bullet. Right. We should. I, I was just saying that you can't do that with no, terrorism. I, no, like you I, can't. I 100% agree. Yeah. I, I I feel you exactly. You're exactly right, and that's my point. Is that you 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 can't solve this problem. You're right. By the end of a bullet, or a bayonet, or a ballistic missile, because as soon as you kill a handful of terrorists. You're, you're neglecting to remember that there's a handful of other ones now being trained in a, in a school. 
and they're now rising up and they're picking up weapons and they're going to fight you. It's only Christian missionary work that ends this threat. Am I saying that we shouldn't fight ISIS that tries to attack us? I, you know what? Kill every single one of them. Kill every single one of them who threatens us, our property, our children, our lives. Kill all of them when they're a threat to us and it's a defensive posture. And do it well. You have a responsibility to win a war well. To win it well. And it's another area of just war theory is that when you do fight a, a, a war, you are, I think, obligated under God to win that war and to do it well. You shouldn't do it in a way that's soft and willy-nilly. You should get into a fight, if you do, defensively, and you should do it to win it. That means that, yeah, there's bloodshed, and you better do well. Mm. Okay? So you don't... So, and that's another talk to have about just war theory. You don't send people into a war not knowing how you plan to finish it. Right? You have to finish that war. That's another area of just war theory. Uh, but it has to be the gospel. We need Christian missionaries sent and not bombs. Sometimes bombs are necessary. But the overall structure of my argument is that it's the gospel is going to transform the world. And so we shouldn't be thinking about this in terms of uh, let's go spread democracy around the world. That we need to spread the gospel, exactly. not democracy, exactly. around the world. Okay. That, so what what shapes beautiful governments is Christians and the Christian worldview. That's what makes beautiful governments. Okay. We don't want to send American democracy anywhere right now. It sucks. <laughs> Theos, not Demas. That's right. God, not Demas. Very good. All right, guys. So I hope this is a blessing to you. Obviously, we just nicked the surface. And obviously, there's a lot that we need to learn and see about what's going on. But I would love if we could think as a church about godly wisdom in foreign policy. Because you know what? I hope you're seeing that it really does matter. (laughs) It matters a lot. Yeah, it really does. It really does. Real lives are at stake. And um, it's going to affect us and our children. And that should matter to all of us. It should matter a bunch. All right, guys. So don't forget to go to missionalwear.com. You're and actually wearing a missionalwear shirt today. I am. And you can get a delicious shirt like me that says, Growing a beard is a habit most natural, scriptural, manly, and beneficial by Charles Spurgeon. You can get a John Owen shirt like Luke has on right now. It says, Kill Sinner. It will be killing you. You get it at missionalwear.com. They support the work of Apologia Church. You should support them by a t-shirt. We love you guys. We thank you. That's Luke the Bear. Peace out, y'all. Steady Randy. Yes, sir. Marcus King Ginger Pittman. Hey. Thank you, sir. I'm Jeff and Ninja. ApologiaRadio.com is where you get us. Let somebody know about this episode. We love you, and thank you to every single person who loves us, prays for us, and supports this ministry. We are grateful to God for you. We think about you all the time. Thank you. Hey guys, don't fast forward through this commercial. Important message for you guys. We're meeting at a new location for Apologia Church worship services. I'm Jeff Durbin, pastor at Apologia Church. Join us for worship 4 p.m. on Sundays. Uh, We are a family integrated church. Sorry, do I introduce myself? They don't know who I am. Yeah, you can say joy. I don't. You can cut this for church, though. Yeah. But what do I do at the church? They're going to be like, that's one of those churches that has a lady pastor. I want to keep this as a, as a part of the commercial. I want you to leave this. Okay. okay. All right. <laughs> uh, this is Luke the Bear, discipleship pastor at Apologia Church. And the new location we're meeting at, 
like Jeff said, it's Tempe Vineyard Church. I think you said it was Tempe Vineyard Church. No, I didn't. You didn't, but that's okay. <laughs> you just did. The address okay. is 1805 East Elliott Road, number 112, Tempe, Arizona, 85284. That is on the southeast corner of McClintock and Elliott. Bring your wives, bring your kids, and bring your husbands too, because we're teaching everybody up in here. Bring your beards, if you got them. Or no. It's up to you. I'll have mine. All right, guys. That's our new commercial. I think it's professional. <laughs> we'll see you at Apology at Church. Join us for worship. ApologyAtChurch.com.